0: Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation.
1: Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for June 24th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. On this week's edition, we hear from University of Arkansas experts about the physical and economic impact of recent flooding in southeast Arkansas. We also get an update from the Arkansas Farm Bureau's Environmental Issues Committee meeting in Cave Springs, and we learn about Dairy Month in Arkansas. First, Steve Powell visited the headquarters of the Illinois River Watershed Partnership in Cave Springs for the Arkansas Farm Bureau Environmental Issues Committee meeting. He spoke to Farm Bureau's Director of Commodity and Regulatory Affairs, John Bailey, about the meeting's major topics.
0: Welcome, everyone. This portion of the AgCast is coming to you from Cave Springs, Arkansas, in a truly unique facility. We're in an old church building and the active church has since moved on, but the sanctuary, the rest of the church building, has been transformed into the Illinois River Watershed Partnership Headquarters. That's an organization that Arkansas Farm Bureau has been connected with since its inception, and we'll talk about that coming up here in just a couple moments. We're here because Arkansas Farm Bureau is holding its Environmental Issues Committee meeting. We thought it would be a good time to talk about some of the environmental issues that are confronting arkansas farmers and ranchers and it's always a pleasure to talk to someone who longtime agcast listeners are probably familiar with he's arkansas farm bureau's director of environmental and regulatory affairs john bailey john thanks for talking to
2: us glad to be here
0: let's talk a little bit about what the illinois river
2: watershed partnership is because people who aren't from northwest arkansas haven't heard of it what is it Uh, The Illinois River Watershed Partnership is a nonprofit organization. It was created to help improve water quality within the Illinois River. Uh, For those that may not know, the Illinois River actually goes across, uh, it flows through Arkansas and goes across state lines into Oklahoma. So this is not simply just an Arkansas issue, but it's an Arkansas and Oklahoma issue as well. Uh, what we really, what Farm Bureau really likes about this particular organization, which we, you know, we have members on the board of directors with the Illinois River Watershed Partnership, is that they want to make sure uh, that they 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 see everything, they address all the issues, um, in an attempt to be able to clean the water up and make it a better place. John, Arkansas Farm Bureau always prides itself on taking a leadership position and trying
0: to keep are members abreast of the issues that are going to affect them now and in the future. Uh, Talk about that philosophy, I guess, from Farm Bureau and why
2: that's such an important role. Well, I think one of the the big reasons it's such an important role is is our policy talks about um, anything that the regulations are based upon have to be based upon science. And so, uh, you know, farmers play a large or very important role in the environment not only do they want to make sure that there's clean water um, and, and it's an opportunity for in clean air and an opportunity to leave things behind for their children um, but they feel like it's in a, you know it's important for their community and so this this particular committee has put together of, of state board members as well as farm bureau members uh, county leadership and what we are able to do is just get together and talk about some of these environmental issues that are facing arkansas agriculture And we'll even go so far as to to talk about issues that are facing nationally but we'll certainly have our input on um, how it it impacts arkansas let's talk about some of the things that were on the agenda for this
0: particular meeting and one of the things that's been in the news a lot lately is the irrigation projects that are underway of course with the flooding of the last couple of weeks Uh, This is a hot topic. Uh, So tell me a little bit about what was discussed and where
2: we think these irrigation projects are and are heading in the future. So the irrigation projects uh, were initially set up because there were certain uh, issues within row crop areas where groundwater became critical, you know, became critical. And so they felt a need to come up with these projects in, in an effort to lessen the stress on our groundwater aquifers um unfortunately what's happened is is that there's been several delays with some of these irrigation projects Um, and as these delays occur prices tend to increase and and now we we seem to be almost further away from getting these irrigation projects complete than rather than closer but with uh, you know recent turn of events money more money is becoming available to work on these projects and what we're hoping is is that in the next couple of years you're going to see the uh, Biomeda uh, irrigation projects, as well as the White, uh, White River projects getting finished, and we're able to get water to some of these farmers within those watersheds. And the important thing is, is that if we can get this done and we start providing water towards uh, for some of these farmers, then that means that there, there's money coming in. Um, now, there's been other states that have began these irrigation projects, and they are able to get water at a very cheap rate. And so that's that's one reason why you wanna get these things done as quickly as possible, because if it takes longer, that means it's gonna cost more money to be able to complete these projects, meaning more money you're gonna to have to come up with to be able to pay for these projects. So that that's one reason why it's so important. Uh, and more importantly, as I said earlier, the, the biggest issue is, our, is groundwater aquifers. You know, as we pull from those aquifers and we have groundwater depletion, it's important that farmers have waters to be able to grow the crops that they have. And if they don't have that water, they can't grow those crops and that certainly impacts the bottom line and we talk an awful lot at Arkansas Farm Bureau about sustainability and
0: I can't think of a more important issue than that. Uh, Another thing that came up on the agenda today which I thought was fascinating is actually defining waters of the U.S. Now to the again for the uninitiated what do we mean when we're talking
2: about the waters of the United States? Uh, Well that definition is more of a regulatory definition. It kind of defines whether or not what activity you're doing will need a permit or not. And so for the past, I, you know, it's easily the past 50 years, there's been, you know, uh, plenty of lawsuits and conversation about what the definition of waters of the U.S. may be. And so today um, we were talking about recent um, news information, talking about uh, the Biden administration wanting to, to withdraw the, the current waters of the U.S. and um, to put in a more stringent definition in place. And so this is information that we felt like we need to get out to this committee so they understand where we're at. Don't have a lot of answers right now, but I think it's very important that we stay on top of this particular subject because if you don't and you're not including in the conversation, then you'll be ignored. I want to double back, if we can, back to the Illinois River Watershed Partnership. And
0: One of the important mandates that they have is this issue of phosphorus and that is really how this need for this partnership, I guess, arose initially and correct me if I'm wrong about that, but but it still remains a pressing issue
2: and something that needs our full attention. Yeah, essentially phosphorus is what kind of started the whole uh, need for something like the Illinois River watershed partnership. Um, there are other, other reasons for that, but the, the, the main focus was for phosphorus and like I said earlier, there is, a, you know, the Illinois River is shared between Oklahoma and Arkansas, and so it's, you know, everybody wants to protect their waters, and it is important to protect their waters. Um, but we we want to be able to strike that um, common area where what's being asked of farmers is appropriate and does the job. Arkansas's argument, and at least uh, from the Farm Bureau's perspective is that it's important that whenever we're implementing a total phosphorus criteria, that it, they follow the science that's, been, that's already been done. And if we don't have the science on it, then let's, let's get it figured out. One of the other things, John, that came
0: up, and I know this is something that you've been working on for a long time, is the issue of black vultures in Arkansas and really the scourge that they are uh, to farmers.
2: Talk a little bit about the problem first and then how we're addressing that. So a lot of our farmers reached out to us and, and talked about some of the issues that they were facing as a result of black vultures. You know, the, a lot of them are, are cow-calf operations where they're losing calves due to these black vultures. And once again, that cuts into the bottom line of what they how they have to do business. And so Farm Bureau began looking at working with U.S. Fish and Wildlife to, to be able to get what's called a depredation permit. That simply means that uh, Farm Bureau would get a permit that would allow... Um, its members to be able to take uh, or shoot black vultures. So earlier this year, we began that process of applying for an application to get a depredation permit. And uh, as far as recently as May, we received that permit. And right now uh, we are rolling out our black vulture depredation permitting system. And what it'll do is it'll allow people to go online, fill out an application and apply for a black vulture permit. Uh, they will be able to take three black vultures, uh, report it back, uh, and that is good for one year. So when December 31st rolls around, if you've already had a permit and taken three vultures, then you can apply January 1 and get three more. We've got options, and I, and I will tell anybody that um, you know probably three may not be enough for some folks. Three may be plenty for some farms. Uh, but I will say this, if, if you have a serious enough problem where um three or five just isn't isn't enough then i i would suggest that you know they reach out to me and i can help them with an application process and they could obtain their own and you know they too could have their own permit that would allow them to take up to you know 25 50 or 100 of these black vultures
0: john thank you for the work that you do and for all the work the environmental issues committee does and staying in front of all these issues and keeping us informed about what's going on. It's important stuff. I'm happy to do it. Thanks.
1: Next up, the University of Arkansas Cooperative Extension Service developed a preliminary southeastern Arkansas flooding report outlining the physical and economic impact of the recent disaster. Jason Brown visits with Dr. John Anderson, head of the Agricultural Economics and Agribusiness Department at the University of Arkansas, and Dr. Vic Ford, Associate Vice President, Agriculture and Natural Resources with the U of A's Cooperative Extension Service, to discuss insights from the report and some mitigation strategies for growers looking to recover this growing season.
3: All right, we're here with another edition of Arkansas AgCast. We're here with Dr. Vic Ford from the University of Arkansas Cooperative Extension Service. Dr. Ford, we'd love to talk a little bit about this event that we have going on uh, tonight in Dumas. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the information you hope to share, the work that your department has been doing in the past uh, couple of weeks? and? and what you hope to share with growers tonight.
4: Okay, what we're hoping to share with growers is one, how wide the impact is. They already know, but try to give enough information to folks, particularly our policymakers, about how widespread the damage is. Uh, we've got Dr. John Anderson gonna talk about the economic analysis. He'll be talking w- with you a little bit later. And I don't, I don't wanna steal his thunder on that. And then we're gonna have talk about uh, specialists in weed science, entomology, agronomy, of all the row crops and what we're gonna try to do is try to uh, talk about economics, talk about what we can do to survive uh, this uh, catastrophe is the best way I can describe it right now. The the 12 to 13 inches rain we got was very devastating. Soils were already saturated, nowhere to go. So we're looking at a large area of uh, Uh, damage all the way down uh, in in southeast Arkansas. And uh, what we did, as soon as we found out that that it was that enormous event when we heard the 12 inches, uh, a a young man who's our technology instructor and I uh, got together and started looking at GIS systems and pulling together what we needed to estimate uh, flooding. And this is something we do every time we have a, a natural disaster such as this. We were learned our lessons over the past few years about how to pull things together in a really short period of time because the news and the, the administrators and legislator, legislature and, and, and governing agencies really want to know what the extent is. And in fact, there have been several events. It was still raining and people are asking me what was the impact. Mm-hmm. So, we have got together a GIS information system. We have pulled together, uh, actually, our, our our video or our slides that we pulled from from the satellites. We're all using all satellite data. It was actually from a week ago today. We had a clear day, 95% uh, accessibility to the scenes that we wanted to use. We're able to go and did some very complex analysis on the color spectra, and we're able to determine what what was underwater and what had been underwater previous to that. So we were able to go through and estimate the amount of acres. We were actually used the uh, National Agricultural Statistics Service data and got estimates in terms of what crops were affected. And we were looking at right now, with some other areas that we got to examine, and this had been ground truth, we're looking at about 600,000 acres right now and it may go a little bit higher, but right now we're, we're pretty, pretty comfortable with 600,000 acres.
3: Yeah, I know uh, when we were here with the governor just a couple of weeks ago, one of the big areas of concern from growers was to determine whether or not we would meet that federal threshold. Do you have any uh, inclination on that at this point with the numbers that you've seen?
4: I have not, I have not seen, you know, it, it's, it may not rise to that amount because we're still trying to see what the water is gonna do. Uh, We also divide the area in what I call impacted area and then heavy impacted area. And we're talking about inches of water versus feet of water. And we're still working through that. So I think some of the impacted area could be salvageable, but we know that the heavily impacted area will not be. So we're still looking probably about half of what we were looking at in terms of what we call heavily impacted.
3: Okay. When growers walk out of here tonight, what what do you hope that they've taken with them?
4: I'm hoping they're taking with them some minds and their strategy about replanting, about uh, crop insurance, uh, about uh, uh, some hope that we can get through this and maybe some, uh, some crops may recover and some crops may have to be replanted. But I'm thinking that's what we're hoping for is that, is that they come through here with a little bit with a renewed confidence that, hey, we can continue farming and we can meet these needs, but it's going to be a little tough right now. Farming's tough. It's a gamble, everybody knows that, but I think there's some things that we can learn from this and take and take into the future.
3: What are some tools that you and your team have to offer growers that might give them some of that confidence? We
4: have some economic budgets that we've got to put together uh, in terms of, of planting and replanting. We have uh, crop yields by planting date, which will help particularly the soybeans, how much yield you're gonna lose by planting this late. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some good irrigation information that will help us to get through the, the drier parts. It's not only getting late, plant, late planted, but we're also going to go to the harder and drier part of the summer. So that's going to affect things. So how to, how to choose things to do to get us through that and hopefully uh, look at late harvesting, giving those beans, if you're planting beans, back a longer period of time to go through. So we are some tools there. Uh, information on our website, we've got the agronomists and the county agents are, are, that are Keeping their fingers on the pulse, and we're right now uh, we're just in the process of being able to pull some of this information together, and hopefully have something out to the farmers as soon as we can,
3: in terms of what we learn. So, if any of that information sounds useful or helpful to a grower, how would they go about getting that?
4: Uh, you, you need to you need to uh, first contact your county agents. They're going to be the ones that have got their finger on the pulse, not only at the local level, but at our level, trying to get that information to them, and pay attention to our website. We're going to make sure in our blogs all of our crop agronomists have a blog, subscribe to that. They're gonna be talking about this the rest of the summer.
3: Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, thank you for being with us today and taking the time to share some of this new information.
4: My pleasure, thank you for inviting me. All right,
3: we're here with Dr. John Anderson to talk now about some of the economics about the flooding that we've seen down in Southeast part of the state. Dr. Anderson, I understand that your team has been working on the economics piece of this, pulling together some models. or. Just taking a look at the financial impacts, would you mind sharing a little bit w- about what you guys have found,
5: sure. and then maybe ha- how you got there? Absolutely, well let me let me sort of preface this by saying that uh, in in my opinion, doing damage estimates like this in the wake of a natural disaster, are some of the more, is, is one of the more difficult tasks that we get asked to do as economists, because we are having to kind of figure out in real time, as a situation is still evolving, what the impacts are, and it's still, you know, even though the, the waters are going down, it's still kind of a moving target uh, because it, it does take a while for damage to become evident. Uh, it can be worse than you think it is, it might be not as bad as you think it is sometimes. So, anything I say, uh, keep in mind that we are dealing with kind of a moving target, but very important uh, that we try to, as quickly as we can, get an assessment of damage estimates that's really important from a policy perspective it's really important from a farm management perspective so we're doing what we can to put together as accurate an estimate as we can of damage uh, of damage from the flood event now we can find our analysis to just the flood event in the South Delta from the week of June 7th and and we're looking pretty much exclusively at major row crops because that's what we've really got objective data on to the extent that we have data at all so and for a, for a single discrete event, uh, the impact was pretty great, particularly when you think about the, the, the fairly narrow geographic scope of what we're looking at. And we're seeing so far in our analysis uh, losses of a little over 70 million dollars on soybeans, uh, about that just a little less than that on rice, about 60 million on corn. Uh, about six million on cotton and about another million on wheat, primarily due to, to, to quality loss on wheat that was being harvested. You put all that together and that's uh, around $207 million in direct losses on those five crops in, the, in 12 South Delta counties. There are clearly things that we're not catching in that analysis, especially crop impacts, for instance. Uh, we know that in the North Delta, because of the wet weather, there's probably some delays that people are still experiencing and getting planted. There may be some later yield effects of that. So uh, that, that's not included in that direct loss estimate. I think when you account for some of those, I uh, don't wanna minimize it by saying miscellaneous kind of losses, but losses that we don't have good quantitative information on, we're probably gonna end up somewhere between that 207 million and $250 million in loss from the June flood event. And I, I, to, to, to put that in the context of a single event in a fairly narrow geographic area, those are significant losses.
3: Yeah, that's, that's right. It, it, how difficult was this? I'm sure you're taking partly into consideration here um, price you know, for for selling that crop. How difficult is it as we see the markets fluctuate day in and day out? You
5: know, it's very difficult, and and those numbers are really based on a forecast of market year average price, which would try to account for the fact that, you know, the crop is is, is marketed over a fairly long period of time. We have people pricing at different points in the year, and we don't know exactly when, so, you know, an individual's experience might look fairly different than that Mm -hmm. in terms of price, but we have to come up with some sort of common denominator for value and that market year average price expectation is about the the best consistent expectation we can come up with, but it's an important point that uh, we probably had people who had product booked, at a higher price point than that market year average price, their loss might look different than our numbers imply because of that. Uh, but again, we have to come up with a common standard for, to, to value all losses, and that's probably the most objective way to do it. Uh, but you're right, there that, that is a pretty critical assumption that has to be made. You know, how do you price this when the market's moving every day? And mm-hmm. <laughs> moving quite a bit in some cases recently.
3: Yeah, that's right. Uh, so to, tonight, the purpose of tonight's meeting will be to talk about some mitigation uh, opportunities and solutions, or is there an opportunity for growers, either at a one-on-one level or at a statewide, or say a statewide, but a regional level here, to mitigate that that estimate down? Uh, with replants and some things like that, sort of make the future look a little brighter.
5: Right, so what, what we've tried to do, and I think the appropriate way to approach this is to value the loss that has occurred, and we know that there have been significant crop losses. You know, those beans that stood underwater are gone. That's a loss. Might that loss be mitigated with a replant? Absolutely, in some cases that's true. Now we're at a time of year when that's a fairly risky proposition. And so it's tough to figure out that, to, that that's a separate issue. What is the value that might be salvaged through some subsequent operation? That's not, we, we haven't tried to account for that in that damage estimate because we really want to know okay, what was the value of what has been lost? Mm-hmm. How we deal with that is a, is a, is a separate issue and a, se- and a second question. And uh, the primary strategy there, obviously crop insurance is going to be a big deal. How much is crop insurance going to pay? We've got fairly low coverage levels, honestly, on crop insurance, particularly in this part of the state. So indemnities on crop insurance are likely to to fall well short of compensating for damage. Mm -hmm. So farmers will look to try to make up that loss through some change in the production strategy. At this time of year, about the only game in town will be to replant soybeans. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're already at a time of year when there'll be a significant yield penalty on that. But in some cases, it may be worth doing. And that's part of what we'll try to help farmers with moving forward is the decision of, should I replant uh, or, or is it too late? Is it worth trying to replant? If if I've overbooked and I've got a really good price on those beans, maybe that changes how I feel about replant versus if I haven't booked anything yet. So using enterprise budgets and uh, price projections, we can help farmers work through that decision because that's going to be a really important decision.
1: Finally, Jason is joined by Arkansas Farm Bureau's Dr. Jessica Richard, Director of Commodity Activities and Economics, to talk about the official proclamation of Dairy Month in Arkansas and the latest on dairy in the state.
3: All right. I'm Jason Brown and we are here with Dr. Jessica Richards from the commodities department here at Arkansas Farm Bureau. Jessica, I asked you to come on the Arkansas AgCast today to talk about Arkansas Dairy Month. So thank you for joining us. Will you start off by just giving us an overview or or just a brief description of Arkansas Dairy Month?
6: Sure. Um, So nationally across the country, there is June Dairy Month celebrated um, as a recognition of the dairy industry and what it contributes to both the ag economy and the Mm -hmm. general economy. So one of the ways that we take that note in Arkansas is we want to celebrate our Arkansas dairy producers. So today is uh, the governor's dairy proclamation day.
3: Oh, awesome. Yeah, love it. So you guys are headed down to the state capitol, and uh, the governor will will be reading this very official proclamation document today?
6: If he's not reading it word for word, he'll be summarizing and, and sharing with us.
3: Excellent. Do we have any, any any farmers on hand for that?
6: We sure do. We've got a couple dairy farmers that are coming to meet the governor at the Capitol today.
3: Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So it's June. It's Arkansas Dairy Month 2021. Do we have any activities going on? You mentioned nationally. Do we have any activities going on here locally in the state?
6: Sure. The whole idea behind celebrating and recognizing the industry is that we want to promote dairy in our state and one of the ways Farm Bureau does that is we sponsor the Dairy Foods Contest. So the really cool thing about this is that we're engaging our youth in the dairy industry. Mm-hmm. And we ask them pre- to prepare recipes and give us demonstration on how to use dairy foods in preparation of different foods. So we just wrapped that up um, and, and declared our prize winners uh, this month.
3: Okay, so Arkansas is the home of cheese dip or self-proclaimed home of cheese dip. So I hope there was some cheese dip involved there. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the, speaking of Arkansas, let's talk a little bit about the dairy industry here. Uh, Can you tell us about sort of the size of the industry or or how we we, uh, shake out nationally?
6: Sure, so Arkansas has a presence of dairy farmers similar to other southeastern states in that we're a relatively small dairy state, Um, of course, when you compare us to the giants like Wisconsin, New York, Pennsylvania, and those, Um, but we're very proud of our over 30 farm families here in Arkansas in the dairy industry and their combined economic impact of over $180 million to our economy.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's, that's a significant impact. Well, have we made the news? Any have we have we have we had any big announcements or any news moments uh, in the dairy industry here in the state this year?
6: There's definitely been some sound bites around the Arkansas dairy industry, um, especially in in relation to what we've done through legislation this year. So this was a big year for dairy in that uh, we just passed a bill um, with you know hand in hand with our legislators that says that. Class one dairy prices are going to be paid for class one milk. And so that sounds like very straightforward. How is this, uh, you know, how has this not happened before? Uh, that's where it gets complicated. But we're very proud of the fact that our dairy farmers came together um, and, and pushed for this effort to get a fair pricing uh, for our milk in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was the big uh, headline of Arkansas dairy industry this year.
3: Oh, nice. All right. Sounds like a win for dairy farmers across the state. Uh, one thing I've noticed as a grocery shopper is I'm seeing lots of other milks at the grocery store and I'm using air quotes as I say this, cause it seems like it doesn't have to come from a, from a cow or from a dairy farm necessarily to have that word. Tell us a little bit about, uh, I guess just the benefits of, 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 of cow milk, uh, as opposed to these other quote unquote milks that we're seeing on the shelf.
6: Sure um definitely coming from the perspective of an economist and not a food scientist uh, we have seen you know a lot of science that tries to address this misnomer that other milks are potentially more healthy than uh, dairy cow milk mm-hmm. um, and I would just add to the fact that you know again and again we we have evidence that dairy, Dairy cow milk is a nutritious food, complete food product that's very good for our consumers. And and then I'll just add to that, that the whole conversation about these other milks in the grocery store. um, I think that's fine and fair when it comes to consumer preferences. But we absolutely don't want to forget that um, our dairy farmers are contributing a good product to for as another option for consumers.
3: Yeah, for sure. Well, I love that. And that's uh, that's a that's a really great point anything that we missed about Arkansas dairy month here in our conversation today?
6: Um, I think I would just add that, you know, I, I want to applaud the excitement and the energy that our dairy division has brought to the table this year within farm bureau. Mm-hmm. I think it's been really exciting to lock arms uh, with our dairy folks and, and work towards solutions that address the issues of our Arkansas dairy industry. I think we have a lot to be proud of.
3: Yeah, that's, that's a great point. and, Uh, applause all around for the dairy division and and all the dairy uh, farmers out there and thanks for your time for joining us on the Arkansas AgCast we hope to catch up with you soon
6: thanks for having me
3: that's it
1: for this edition of Arkansas AgCast come back next Thursday for more stories and news about Arkansas agriculture